0: Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Welcome to the Asian Banker Radio Finance, the online broadcast platform that aims to enhance industry knowledge and understanding of critical issues that impact the sector today. This is Eugene Tasimanov, Vice President, Moody's Investor Service. He's a Senior Credit Analyst at Moody's Financial Institution Group based in Singapore. He is the lead analyst for banks in Southeast Asia, including Singapore, Malaysia, and Vietnam. I would like to invite Eugene now to very briefly review the banking sector performance in 2019 before giving us an overview of where Moody see the industry in 2020, which country will do well and which countries will suffer, and the key themes or trends that will characterize the industry in the region in the year ahead.
1: Thank you, Ping. So I'm going to spend maybe 10 to 12 minutes uh, doing uh, this presentation and then we'll do a small Q&A. So as Ping mentioned, uh, we we do have every year we sit down and have uh, an outlook on banks in Asia Pacific. And for 2020 our outlook is negative and we expect that the credit fundamentals will deteriorate uh, leading to a bit more problems for the banks. So let me explain why. Can we go to the next slide, please? The primary reason is the slowing economic growth in Asia. So no surprise that chart on the left shows that uh, growth in 2020 in real GDP will be slower than we have seen in the past decade. So we show the average growth for the last decade and the 2020 forecast, that's the red line there. And most economies, the growth is slower. Trade tensions is, is, is one of the reasons. Uh, and many economies, as we show on the right, are exposed to China in terms of exports. So there are direct linkages from a slower economic growth in China to the, to the rest of the Asian economies. And that in itself is negative for the banks because they'll see a bit more MPLs, slower credit growth, slower earnings. So uh, no surprise there that Hong Kong has the most exports to China as a share of GDP, 54%. Mongolia also commodity story. Australia also commodity exports. And then you have uh, electronics exporters such as Korea, Taiwan, and dairy sector, New Zealand. So there are uh, very vast uh, trade linkages between these, these economies in China and if Chinese um, uh, growth Uh, and Chinese demand for those uh, products and services continue to slow, uh, we'll see a slower growth uh, across Asia as well. Moving to the next slide, another uh, stress point is the high private sector leverage uh, in Asia. This is not something new. This uh, leverage, um, you're probably well familiar with the story. Private sector leverage has been growing in Asia. Uh, for most of the last decade um, facilitated by the lower interest rates and uh, as a share of GDP, private sector debt is uh, well above 200% for China. It's also very high in Hong Kong but but also kind of moderately high in other places of Asia such as Australia and Singapore. Um, what it means is that there's a lot of companies primarily um, that uh, might be over leveraged and Um, If uh, operating conditions change uh, significantly as their earnings decrease uh, so then they might have troubles uh, repaying their financing to the banks. So this is the contagion channel for the banking system. Uh, On the right side, Exhibit 4, we show that, you know, how much the leverage has actually changed in the last uh, three years or so, so for Vietnam, for example. 21% 21% is the, is, the, is the change in percentage points uh, over that period. So key takeaway here is that uh, the, uh, most economies have actually uh, slowed uh, their credit expansion um, uh, over the last three years or actually deleveraged such as India and Thailand and, and also Australia. So that's that's a positive sign. Uh, I think what we're maybe concerned, about, you know, going to 2020 and 2021 is whether some of these economies might re-leverage again. Um, for example, in China, credit growth has uh, has accelerated late, lately. So, uh, again, you know, accommodative monetary policy might mean that it's a bit easier to borrow or to refinance. So, um, we may see some real leverage emerging in some parts of Asia. In itself, it's, uh, it's going to be negative if it happens. Going to the next slide, the third uh, aspect we're watching is the property market. Again, uh, this has been going on for uh, you know the more than 10 years, at least in, in parts of Asia. And uh, this is the classic uh, asset bubble uh, risk that we see. Um, with housing markets uh, growing so rapidly and banks heavily exposed to mortgages, banks heavily exposed to uh, uh, construction companies uh, and infrastructure companies. So if there is a a radical deflation of of the housing market, that could um, uh, hit the balance sheets of the banks through problem loans. you see, interestingly, the, the growth in uh, many markets has slowed down quite a lot last year, uh, but we already see uh, growth picking up again in some markets. For example, in Australia, you don't really see it on the chart, but the latest data we have is that in Australia, there's, there's a, there's a re- renewed growth in, um, in the housing market, uh, again, facilitated by lower interest rates. So what this means is that we may see a renewed surge in property prices in some markets as, as uh, interest rates uh, go down. So, you know, those challenges, slower economic growth, uh, leverage, and housing markets, we expect that all of this will lead to a modest increase in uh, problem loans for uh, Asian banks. So here on this chart mm-hmm. we show the, the, the increase uh, in 2020 compared to 2018, so most economies have a modest uh, increase in NPLs generally uh, those come from uh, corporate exposures uh, in our assessment. And you also see that some economies are actually seeing a decrease in NPLs such as India, Mongolia or uh, Vietnam. And what's going on there is basically uh, these uh, economies, these banking systems went into uh, credit problems way before everyone else. So, Indian banks are well uh, famous for that. You know, so same for Vietnamese. So, that, you know, what these guys have been doing is they've been cleaning up their books quite significantly. So, as a result, there's a fewer legacy problem loans on their balance sheet that we expect uh, in 2020. That's why you see uh, an improvement, although from a, from a high base IFRS 9 is interesting, as an accounting standard, Uh, just a few words on that. If you don't know what IFRS 9 is, it's the new way that banks are classifying uh, the quality of their exposures and create provisions. Uh, So far, I think IFRS 9 has been rolled out uh, a couple of years ago across Asia, and so far it has has had a fairly muted impact on on provisions and NPLs. Uh, there's a few countries that are moving to IFRS 9 um, uh, this year. I think India is moving this year, uh, Thailand just moved, um, Indonesia is also moving, so we'll, we'll see how, they, how uh, what's the impact there, but so far we don't expect material uh, hits on the bank's um, capital because of that. If we we'll go to the next slide. So profitability, so one theme uh, globally that we're focused on is the lower for longer, lower meaning interest rates. So we're going to have lower interest rates for a longer period of time uh, and um, you, you you obviously seen that many central banks in Asia have been busy cutting interest rates last year. Uh, so we do expect some of that to continue, that's going to depress margins. And uh, we do have um, expectations of de- decreased profitability for Asian banks uh, in 2020, and that's shown in Exhibit 8. This is the change in uh, ROA or return on asset. Uh, you, you also be m- maybe a bit surprised that India is a positive outlier, but uh, please bear in mind that this comes from a negative ROA in 2018 to, to a slightly positive ROA. So, so this. Uh, uh, change uh, or improvement in India comes from a, from a very low base, essentially. But uh, for, a, for the most other countries, we do expect uh, weakening um, profitability. So go to the next slide. So um, what are the buffers that the banks have? Capital is, is quite good. Uh, so here we show the tangible common equity to risk-weighted assets. That's the uh, green bar. And um, this is pretty close to CE Tier 1. And uh, we we run stress tests for every system. And you see that uh, there's a diamond there. This is the outcome of the stress test. Most systems pass our stress test, except a few. Uh, Again, India, Vietnam, um, Sri Lanka are low on capital in a stress scenario. uh, And that is because their starting capital is a bit weaker and their starting NPLs are also a bit higher. And in our model, um, uh, this this impacts the uh, overall outcome quite significantly. Uh, So, but but in any case, um, solvency is quite okay in a stress scenario uh, for the vast majority of the systems. Let's go to the next slide. So this one is funding and liquidity. Again, traditional strength for um, uh, Asian banks. Uh, that rely pretty much on customer deposits for, uh, for uh, lending or credit activities. So LDRs are generally below 100% or roughly at that level. Um, and um, we, sh- we show on the right side, uh, liquidity of the banking systems here is quite good. So 20 to 30% liquid assets ratios uh, reliance on market funding is pretty low, again, in a you know, 15 to 20% range. Uh, so that, that, those are pretty good numbers uh, that show that banks in Asia, again, not heavily dependent on market funding except for Australia, of course, which um, has a, uh, where banks have heavy borrowings. Um, but um, the key takeaway here is that banks have quite solid funding and liquidity. Let's go to the next slide. So if, if uh, capital is not sufficient to offset losses uh, or uh, if the losses are, you know, more material than we expect, we expect that government support will, will uh, come uh, towards the banks. Again, uh, in Asia uh, we think that most regulators are still keen to uh, bail out uh, their banks, um, particularly the systemically important ones. So that's why uh, we have quite a bit of rating uplift for government support. So that, that's the blue component of the rating. So. The simple way to look at it, they have Singapore at the AA1 rating and the, 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 the blue component is three notches uplift. And you see similar stories across the rest of Asia. Uh, Hong Kong though is an exception where they have a resolution regime and, and, and uh, can bail in um, uh, creditors if needed. But for other systems, it's, it's the good old bailout that we expect. Can you go to the next slide? So this is the map of Asia with um, uh, where we show which systems are compliant with Financial Stability Board uh, key attributes of uh, effective bank resolution. So again, back to the earlier message that for most of Asia, uh, there's legacy resolution regimes for banks that are non-compliant with Financial Stability Board Basically, they don't have bail-in. They don't have uh, other attributes uh, of an effective resolution regime. Singapore and Japan are partially compliant. And again, only Hong Kong is fully compliant. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, A few words about digital. Um, Obviously, uh, for a few years already, this this has been a very hot topic. And uh, this is going to continue. So we expect that banks will continue very large investments. In technology, some may actually buy uh, technology companies. So it might be organic um, investments and non-organic investments. We also expect that many markets will continue to shrink their physical branch networks. That we show on the right side, uh, where many advanced economies have already significantly uh, reduced their um, um, physical footprint. Um, but we do expect that um, in a in an environment of lower earnings, banks will still continue to invest in technology so as a result you'll have uh, a higher cost of income maybe this year and next because uh, some of the technological investment you can't really stop. You have to continue with those and uh, earnings will come under a bit of pressure so as a result your cost of income goes, out, goes, goes up a bit. Uh, next slide. So cyber risk is another focus area. Again, uh, we show on the left side of the, the chart that ci- financial, financial institutions are the most cyber attacked globally. And um, what are the defenses? The so banks have to spend a lot. What we show on the right side is total uh, cybersecurity spending and the share of GDP. And uh, there's a few economies that are actually... Um, better prepared, I think they're spending more than others, as so, so Singapore, Japan, Australia. But the vast majority of um, uh, developing markets in, in Asia are, uh, are not spending as much, so as a result, they might be less prepared. Again, this is total spending for not only banks, but um, I would suspect that banks, again, in emerging markets are a bit less prepared against cyber attacks compared to banks in advanced um, Asian economies. Next slide. This is my last slide. So this is the uh, outlook distribution. Uh, basically what you see on uh, for Asia Pacific in 2019 for example is we take uh, all the banks that we rate and, and look how, how many are stable uh, individually. So uh, you see quite a big dec- decrease in stable outlooks uh, over 2019 and um, uh, quite a big increase in ratings of under review. So basically uh, short-term change is very possible uh, and also um, this is the same situation in other parts of the world. So there's, there's been quite, there might be quite a big re-rating um, of Asian banks but uh, nevertheless about 80% are still stable so uh, that means that, you know, there's a bit of pain but most uh, banks individually should be fine uh, even though some some downgrades are possible. So that concludes my uh, prepared remarks, Boon Ping.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you, Eugene. So your last, slide, you ma- you mentioned the most of the banks are kind of still in the in the stable rating. Now um, last year, the overall uh, outlook for the industry was actually stable, and um, and last year was actually one of the worst years uh, in recent history for um, for economies in the region as well as the banking system. Um, and uh, how do you see 2020, there are already signs of uh, external risk uh, ebbing or reducing? So, for example, with a possible resolution of Brexit um, and phase one agreement, uh, the trade agreement between the, the U.S. and China, do you see conditions uh, improving instead of worsening in the, in the 12 months ahead?
1: Yeah, it's a good, good question, Boone, I, I think if you we go back a, a year ago um, indeed, uh, same time last year, we had a stable outlook for banks in Asia. And I think the major driver was we, we were expecting a bit of a synchronized upturn in the first half of 2019, and we were expecting interest rates to go up. Instead of all of this, we had a synchronized downturn uh, of economic growth. We had rates going in the other direction. So uh, I think it was a major surprise, I I think, for for, uh, most market watchers. And uh, again, you're right that 2019, particularly the the later part of 2019, uh, brought some more negative surprises. Uh, So again, we're negative for this year for banks. Uh, Mm -hmm. We expect that the trade challenges will persist. Uh, We also expect that uh, the Trade 1 agreement, uh, sorry, Phase 1 agreement it's good, but it's, it's a fairly limited scope, as we all know. So, you know, it's a step in the right direction, but um, it, it doesn't do much to uh, improve the situation. So unless we see um, more uh, steps uh, towards um, trade liberalization, um, uh, I guess we, we're still going to see um, economic, de- uh, you know, decrease in economic growth in Asia.
0: Okay. Uh- Talk, talk to us about uh, concerns about private sector uh, leverage. Uh, uh, over the last few years, um, uh, major financial system across the region has started to deleverage. Uh, at the same time, it's, it's got kind of a, a double sword effect, right? In terms of reducing um, risk within the financial system, by the same time. Uh, Hampering growth because of you know reduction in credit. Um, How how do you see that playing out in 2020?
1: Yeah, indeed, private sector leverage has been um, uh, coming down, or or the growth has been slowing as a share of um, uh, GDP. I think generally we see that uh, as as a positive development because. uh, banks are not overstretching themselves, and corporates are not borrowing be- beyond their own needs. Um, but, but I think with the slower, uh, sorry, the lower interest rate environment, and if there is a bit more confidence coming back to the market, we may see a, again a renewed spike in, um, in, in corporate leverage. Again, the, 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 mm-hmm. what we're tracking is the debt at risk, you know, some of those, companies that, uh, that have very high borrowings but very low earnings to repay that debt. So in, in some uh, economies, the share of such companies is very, very high, like China, uh, Indonesia, for example, even Singapore, right. you have a lot of these companies. So this is a risk for the banks that's still on the horizon.
0: Okay. And um, obviously the, you know, the... Um for a lot of uh, the, the the banking system in the region the the government support is very important um as you mentioned some of the more developed economies uh, are either partially compliant or fully compliant with a full resolution uh, regime um how do you see that progressing for the rest of the region
1: yeah it- Indeed, um, uh, there's only Hong Kong that is fully compliant with the FSB key attributes, so they have an operational resolution regime. But the other systems, this is pretty much um, uh, limited developments um, regarding uh, uh, bail-in of creditors, for example. So if a bank is in trouble, what do you do? If you don't have bail-in, you just have to basically uh, invest, you have to think about, Investing public funds or closing the bank, right? So, and I think many uh, regulators are not keen to close um, large institutions because it creates panic. Uh-huh. So, I think public support remains. What, what interesting development we see is that there's a third angle that is increasingly emerging uh, whereby regulators just ask their banks to hold more capital, um, particularly uh, tier two or, or, or additional tier one capital. Uh, to mm-hmm. boost the buffers, right? So there's no resolution regime, but uh, there is um, a higher capital requirement. We see that com- uh, w- already uh, being implemented in Australia, where the big four right. banks will hold more capital. Also in China, mm-hmm. uh, those TLAC requirements. So this is an important uh, consideration, and I think it's positive for uh, senior secured creditors because there's more buffers. That that kind of kind of absorb losses be, before you know, creditors are are affected.
0: Okay, in a lot of, in a lot of the, the regions, uh, some of the the big banks. You um, know, you look at Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam. Uh, some some of the larger domestic banks, uh, asset size to GDP, for example, are fairly small by uh, global comparison. Um, do you see it move towards consolidation or relaxing on, you know, foreign uh, capital participation in the industry. Uh, That will, you know, uh, help strengthen uh, capital position some of this bank even more.
1: Yeah, you're right. In some some economies in Asia, uh, the banking credit to GDP is fairly low, uh, so there's uh, kind of underbanked systems, if you will. i think we we may see some uh some consolidation uh interestingly in Thailand we've seen quite a bit of that um already uh because thai um banking system has been uh plagued by very slow growth uh since the the latest coup uh and uh banks have been left left um, um, uh, wondering what to do next right how how do you grow your your uh, uh, r o e so We've seen um, some banks uh, venturing outside, so doing an acquisition in Indonesia. We have also seen some mid-sized Thai banks merging. So it's just specific examples of how banks think about uh, their ROEs and efficiency in a slow-growth environment, and and, uh, M&As, either local M&As or regional M&As remain uh, quite on the agenda.
0: Okay, great. Now, uh, your, your last chart shows in terms of the rating of the different uh, banks um, in the different economies. Talk, talk to us about some of the other large economies in Asia-Pacific. Um, how, how do you see uh, the system uh, faring in 2020, in, uh, in particular about uh, India? Uh, India was expected to grow uh, more in 2019, but it did not happen on, on the back of some of the issues uh, with uh, demonetization and with, uh, with, with uh, uh, kind of legacy debt, as you mentioned. But as, as that gets sorted out, um, how do you see them uh, in 2020?
1: Yeah, Indian banking system is quite interesting. So, um, indeed, a lot has been done by the authorities to boost banks' capital over the last couple of years. Uh, There's been significant recaps. I think something like 40 40 billion U.S. dollars over the last three years have been invested into the banks. This is a huge amount. But nevertheless, our view is that the cleanup uh, of the balance sheets is far from complete. And on top of Mm -hmm. that, on on top of those legacy assets, legacy risks, there's new risks that are emerging, particularly the shadow banking sector, uh, the the failure of ILNFS. Um, and then uh, you have the housing finance companies and real estate sector that is not doing well. And the slowing macroeconomic growth is, is not supporting uh, the situation either. So what does it mean is that we expect new NPLs to emerge, uh, uh, including in the retail and SME sector and, and the construction sector that will create an additional burden for the banks. And there, you know, which banks, right? So, uh, private sector banks, I think, uh, on gen- uh, generally, are better capitalized, but uh, the public sector banks uh, are the one that might be again stretched and again in need of more um, uh, public sector capital.
0: Okay, and finally, on uh, other risk, you you mentioned uh, digitization and the risk of uh, uh, cyber security. Um, but, but there, there is also increasingly uh, the move towards uh, sustainable banking or sustainable financing that is aligned to environmental uh, social governance and sustainable development goals. Uh, what do you see in terms of regulation or regulatory framework to force compliance to this um, in, in the coming years and, and the risks and opportunity that they present to um, banks?
1: Yes, sustainable financing is a is a big thing. I mean, we do uh, meet hundreds of banks every year, and then you know you go to Singapore, you go to Vietnam. I think every bank in the world would 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 have uh, uh, integrated ESG considerations into their uh, credit approval process. So I think that that's a good thing. It's it, it's well spread across Asia, and banks are serious about it. Um, but I think what what we also see is that regulators you know, generally um, are, are implementing guidelines uh, around sustainable finance. So, uh, in a way they're they're taking it relatively easy. So, they're not forcing the banks to do something because they don't want, again, to destabilize um, some industries. Um, for example, you know, coal financing or palm oil, right? So, do you, you really want to have those industries uh, without any financing at all? Uh, of course not. You know, it's a big, Big employer in some of these economies, you know, be it Indonesia or Malaysia. So uh, I think the regulators again are are publishing a lot of guidelines what the banks should focus on. But it's up to the banks to, to, to decide what to do at the end of the day. Um, one one risk which is medium term to long term is the so-called stranded asset. Um, if you're not familiar what um, what stranded asset means, it's is those assets that you know, the banks might, might get stuck with and they, they lose value over time. For example, you know, the, some of those oil projects, if they finance something and then no one else wants to refinance it um, uh, because it's not green enough, and then the bank is stuck with the, this asset. Uh, so, I mean, banks in, in Singapore, for example, they're pretty busy trying to figure out what, what the total amount of potentially stranded assets that they might might, might see on their balance sheet uh, but, but, again, this is something uh, that the bank's just starting to focus, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. How, how, how significant is it? Do, do we have an indication or, or measure of how, you um, know, uh, this would be kind of a uh, sector industry that is more, you know, non-green, uh, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I think it's, 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 you know, every bank in the world would probably have their own definition mm-hmm. of a stranded asset so it's hard to put a number mm-hmm. on it. Uh, but, but I think it's, it's, it's not as easy like green or non-green industry. Banks are still mm-hmm. uh, active in, in less green industries, but they want to see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their, their borrowers, for example, uh, implement more sustainable uh, farming, for example, so that it's, it's, a, it's right. a process that's going to take many years. Uh, but we still mm-hmm. think that banks are are, are still Uh, you know, this this ESG thinking in credit uh, activities is still evolving.
0: How how important is this, um, and how kind of, how how is it getting into your credit uh, methodology, for example? Will will it uh, play a a bigger role in in the coming years?
1: Yeah, I think ESG has always been part of our um, our bank trading methodology, particularly the governance aspect where where banks might, uh, you know have weak governance uh, structures and as a result uh, might go into uh, credit losses um, you know related party lending is a is a clear example so increasingly I, we're focusing the, on the other aspects of ESG like uh, environmental and social uh, so um, uh, we, we built integrated heat maps into our models and uh, uh-huh. essentially we penalize a bank that, that is not um, um, adhering to uh, ESG principles.
0: Right. Great. Um, I want to thank Eugene for your insight and analysis and we hope that our audience have found the session insightful and useful. If you are interested to look at the Asia Pacific Banking Industry Outlook 2020 report, you may visit the Asian Banker website to download a copy. You can also visit our website to register for our future Radio Finance sessions that touch on critical issues impacting the industry, where you can also download past sessions to listen to. Until the next event, we wish you all a good day. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.